Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know. This episode features one of the three guests who were part of my weekly hour-long NPR show, broadcast over the air every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island where it is broadcast continuously for 15 years. This show is about dogs, cats, and other creatures who share the planet with us. Please check out my other Pet Talk podcasts at tracyhotchnerpets.com. I'm also the founder and director of the annual New York Dog Film Festival, which travels the country supporting local animal welfare groups after a New York City premiere every October alongside my annual New York Cat Film Festival brought to you by Dr. Elsie's. This show would not be possible without the longtime support of Waruva, the pet food company founded and privately run by David Foreman, who named it after his rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Waruva is a quirky name for a company with whimsical names for the dozens of different cans and pouches of cat food they make. But what sets them apart is how serious David is about high-quality nutrition. They were the first pet food company to use human edible ingredients and process them in the same facilities that make human food, remaining privately owned and run, accountable only to their own high standards. This show was also made possible with the generous support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Bruce Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian. He personally created many styles of litter to make sure that even the fussiest cats would not have out-of-litter box problems, the number one reason people abandon their cats. Dr. Elsie also created his own brand of cat food called Clean Protein, the first dry cat food I can recommend because it's based on the protein found in a cat's natural prey. I'm also grateful to Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, where they create holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. Earth Animal makes a dazzling array of healing products for dogs and cats, as well as the innovative dog chew, no hide, and the hybrid dry food wisdom, which is sometimes all that my picky Weimaran or Maisie will eat. It is so wonderful to have Christine Dorschach back on the show. She's talked at length here and all over the United States and now internationally about greyhounds and protecting them and closing racing tracks. And now she's written a most beautiful book. It's called Brooklyn Goes Home, The Rise and Fall of American Greyhound Racing and the Dog That Inspired a Movement. Christine, congratulations on putting your story as well as Brooklyn's in between covers. It's an incredible story to see the level of devotion it takes for really one woman and the people that have surrounded you to change the landscape for an entire species or a subspecies if a greyhound is a subspecies <laughs> of dog. I, 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 I already admired how hard I imagined you worked as a lawyer, but as, I don't know if you're called an, are you called an activist or are you called a, a agitator? Whatever you've done has, has been fabulous. <laughs> it depends on who you ask. That's right. But there's some other word like a beacon of light in the darkness for these dogs. Can you just sort of give people an, an overview of how many decades it's been? Because I think that while Brooklyn is a lovely dog and what you did to bring her here is great. It's I, I think that you're the one who who deserves 
enormous, enormous amount of attention for having achieved a goal that I can't believe you never gave up. I mean, it was frustrating, I imagine. So talk a little bit about when you first became aware of the horrors of greyhound racing. Oh, thank you so much for having me on the show, Tracy. And, you know, uh, Brooklyn Goes Home was written with my co-founder, Carrie Teal, um, who is my partner in this effort uh, um, each and every day, each and every hour, um, because we wanted to show people that it's possible to affect change. And it is not a popularity contest necessarily. You make mistakes, but the key thing is to get up and learn from those mistakes and and keep working. Um, in our early days in 2001, one of our founding board members, who's a Vietnam veteran, said, I'm going to give you a piece of advice. Always stay on the field. Wow. Because your resilience is is what is going to win in the end. Stay on the field, look for opportunities. And we really took that to heart because no one else was trying to end dog racing. That's right. And we said, well, let's let's us give it a, a try. We didn't know what we were doing. We had no understanding of the political process. Right. I was not an attorney. That's right. I didn't even I didn't even know you could go to the ballot to vote on issues. I I really was a neophyte and we decided that, well, no one else is even trying, so let, let's try to learn the process, learn what to do, and see what happens. And we learned a lot, as, as we cover in the book, through mistakes. And we were willing to make mistakes because oftentimes a loss turned into a win. And, in fact, if we had won our first campaign in Massachusetts in the year 2000, that would have probably been the end of the campaign. I would have moved on uh, oh, with, with my life. Mm-hmm. And others uh, who were volunteering for the campaign would have said, yeah, check that off the list. Right. Oh, instead, because we lost, we were determined to fight on. And the way that I saw it was very simple. And this has really been an approach of mine from day one. Look at the issue, look at the situation from the viewpoint of the dog. What would the dog want? Well, if the dog knew nothing about an election day, um, those poor dogs were still sitting in their rotten cages, maybe going to die that day, maybe going to get injured, maybe get sent on to race elsewhere. They were just commodities, and they were suffering, and they needed help just as much as the day after the election as the day of the election. Right. let, let's keep fighting. And of all the 30 volunteers, um, only oh, two people stood up with me, and that was Carrie Teal and Dr. Jill Hoffenbeck. And we joined with Reverend Tom Gray, and we formed Gray 2K USA because we said, well, we're not just going to end dog racing in Massachusetts. We're going to do it nationwide. So that was our big goal at the time. And um as we talk about in the book, we realize that greyhound racing, the cruelty has no borders. And this American invention had metastasized to multiple countries. And we had a responsibility to fight for those dogs who were suffering. So we became an international organization um, in 2013. But uh, I have to say, 
that doesn't mean we're a fancy organization no. or a multi-million dollar operation. We still work in a one-bedroom office with desks in a circle. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And I think that, you know, you say, you know, this American idea, the idea of racing greyhounds in a in a circle with a a, a lure that's a fake rabbit, right? Was it ever real rabbits? I can't remember. In the beginning, were there real rabbits? There, there were, right? Unfortunately, what we have found is that this is an, a recalcitrant industry and what's called live lure yes. training, which occurred from day one, still goes on today. And we recently did an expose where we went to four states and in every state we found high officials and well-known uh, folks in the greyhound industry engaged in live lure training. Which you came on the show to talk about before, which is them raising hares and rabbits and dangling them in front of dogs until they're ripped stem from stern. But I guess what's what's really interesting to me is that there there was a lot of money behind greyhound racing as there is behind horse racing. Listen, as there is behind the NFL, those, you know, those players are paid a lot of money, but they're expendable too, as you see, game after game. We are people who put sort of a, a lot of value on gambling and on gambling money, and it goes behind sports, if you want to think of greyhound racing as a sport, which those of us who, thanks to you and the people you've worked with, know it's not a sport. It's it's not just for fun. And yeah, the dogs are bred to run. Well, not exactly. That's not really all they're supposed to do in life. And their conditions that you documented over and over, over all these years. I mean, many of us have an a remembrance that at some point, call it 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you had exposed pits of dogs that were left to die or shot to death and left just buried in big pits in Florida when when the tracks, I don't know, shrank or the dogs weren't doing well. And I think a lot of us thought, ooh, that's terrible. But we didn't understand that it was an endemic uh, environment that, cont- that, w- that needed someone like you to Chinese water torture. Well, I don't know. That's probably politically in incorrect was- to say that, right? It was business as usual. Yes. That's how the industry yes. worked, and uh, nobody was was doing anything about it. There have been exposés, certainly, but um, nothing really resulted from them except an interesting thing. Oh, well, we'll do better. Right, um, right. You know, so voluntary improvement resulted in, in no improvement. This is not a sport. It's organized animal cruelty, but it was, in fact, once the sixth most popular sport, quote-unquote, in the United States. But these days, um, dog racing is almost entirely uh, outlawed in the United States, and we have just one state with two dog tracks. When we started, there were uh, nearly 60 dog tracks. So we've really gone state by state, and that's what we discuss in the book. Every state had a different strategy because every state is different. And sometimes we lost, so we went back with another strategy. But we stayed true to our mission, and that was to end dog racing. And we would end dog racing simply by putting out the facts. Here are how many dogs are injured. This is the number that die. Here's how they live. And so we simply let the dog's records speak for themselves. And in Florida, that was a real game changer. We brought a ballot question to close down 12 dog tracks. 
And that was very key, to let the dogs speak for themselves. We attended various hearings um, uh, before the uh, question went on the ballot, and volunteers would hold up a photo, a color photo of a greyhound, a a greyhound that had died, and simply read the story. And then the next one, and the next one, to make the point that a dog died every three days in Florida. And this had to stop. And that's why they cared so much for this ballot question to pass. And then when we uh, were on the ballot, we made sure that we had television ads that showed the suffering that the dogs were enduring so that voters would have the facts. And, of course, the economics uh, speak to it as well. The state was losing money, $3.3 million a year, because it costs more to regulate dog racing than it brings it in tax wow, revenue. That was really a shocker. Yeah. So no matter, I always say, and this has really been important to us um, in, in forming uh, coalitions and alliances, whether you're a hard-right Republican or a lefty Democrat or somewhere in between, there's a reason for you to oppose dog racing. If you only care about <laughs> yeah. money, then you should be with us. And that's why <laughs> we've had governors like Jeb Bush veto subsidies and veto tax breaks for tracks. But at the same time, we've had many Democratic governors stand up and sign legislation to outlaw dog racing. We just uh, had a wonderful bill signed uh, signing ceremony with the governor in Colorado. So this is sub- there's something for everyone in this fight. But before we started, uh, we were told, uh, don't bother because this is a multi-million dollar right. operation. You can't fight City Hall. Yep. You're, you're never going to win. But um, between myself and, and Carrie, we thought we could figure it out along the way. And we've been fortunate um, to have some success, but we're not done. And our focus is on those last two tracks and passing a federal bill, the Greyhound Protection Act. It's now in Congress um, to outlaw dog racing entirely in the United States. So dog racing can never come back because right now there are states where we have a work to close the tracks for instance wisconsin but there's no law against dog racing so uh, dog racing could come back could come back to connecticut wow. um, so we have some kind of uh, we still have more work to do here in the u.s but the key thing about the federal bill is it will not only ban dog racing here in the U.S., it will prohibit American gamblers from betting on racing elsewhere, so we will not be propping up the cruelty in Australia or the United Kingdom, and also will ban the export of American dogs for racing elsewhere. So it's protecting, the dogs could still be bred here and, and shipped to Vietnam, shipped to, you know, Wales or wherever we unfortunately are still fighting to end dog racing, we want to stop that as well. We want to get the U.S. out of the business of cruelty to greyhounds. I think it's it's extraordinary that you you win the battle after micro battles, mini battles, mini failures, mini successes, state by state, (laughs) many, many and many. And then you say, okay, we did it. Okay, we've just got one little trickle of evil still happening. But wait, there's the rest of the world. Okay, let's take on countries that we know nothing about their laws. We know nothing about all the things you wouldn't know anything about, just like originally you knew nothing really about what was going on behind the scenes in America. 
and simply by determination and a belief that somehow justice will prevail, which is, gosh, isn't that a refreshing thought? The justice well, for know, the dogs, it, you've we, made it, it prevail. May not, you know? Well, it Maybe has we done. Maybe we won't be able to do it, but we're going to try. And not just us, groups around the world, we are united with them. And we just held um, our third international conference in Scotland in September. And advocates and lawmakers from 10 countries came. Wow. And they are united to end dog racing. And these are smart people. And they come from all walks of life, nice. all political persuasions. And they want to see, make a path to end dog racing where they are as well. And we're joining hands with, with those people. And hopefully, together, uh, we can wipe out uh, dog racing and give all greyhounds the second chance that they deserve. Our dear Brooklyn, he was an example of a dog that never should, he never stood a chance. He was born in Australia. He was a failed racer. And his um, unscrupulous owner decided to make a little bit more money off of him and sent him to race at the only legal dog track in China, which was called the Canadrome. And there was no adoption program. So he knew when he was sending beautiful Brooklyn to that place, it's on a peninsula out off the mainland, he was sending Brooklyn to die. And that was the cruelty that was happening year after year. 400 dogs a year were sent to the Canadrome to race and die. And when we learned of that, and uh, it was just astounding to us because at least we could say that at most dog tracks, um, there was an adoption program. There was some. There was a recognition that these dogs a, a little sliver of hope adoption. Yeah. something. Um, instead, it was it was basically all dogs on death row at the Canadrome. And I said to Carrie, "That's it, Carrie. We have to shut this place down." And he, he looked at me across the room and he said, are you kidding me? We are in a one-room basement office in Somerville, Massachusetts. How are we going to close a Chinese dog track? I said, I don't know, but we are. Um, and oh, that, that, Christine, that was the beginning of it. Such, we just said, we're going to do it. It's and fabulous. thank God we it's had so alliances with... Uh, well, you had, you had a vision. Italy. And you've made and it happen. And Albano Martins in Macau and... Together, we approached the government, we negotiated the closure of the Canadrome, and then we airlifted over 500 dogs, including our dear Brooklyn, to safety. Well, you've done an amazing job, and, and we've run out of time, but the book tells this story in wonderful detail. It's heartwarming. It's not depressing. You are our no. heartwarming. You are <laughs> our spirit uplifting. Um, Brooklyn Goes Home, The Rise and Fall of American Greyhound Racing and the Dog That Inspired a Movement. Thank you and Carrie and everyone who's worked with you here and abroad to do such good work on behalf of these magnificent animals. Thank you again, Christine Dorschach. Thank you, Tracy, for having me on the program. I hope you enjoyed the show. There's a few more special companies that make the show possible, and I hope you'll try their products because they support my mission to entertain you with valuable information and advice. I want to thank Wonderside, founded by a woman entrepreneur who discovered an effective natural way of using plant-powered products to repel fleas, ticks, and other parasites on our pets instead of putting toxic chemicals in or on them. 
Wonderside makes it possible to protect your pets, children, and property without the chemicals that could be harmful to all of us. The show is also underwritten by Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two dedicated women who take human edible, ethically sourced ingredients and gently cook dog food that is then frozen in pouches and shipped right to your door. They founded and run their own company and answer only to their own high standards. Finally, we're supported by Magic Fabric Pet Throws, developed by a husband-wife team whose expertise in the textile industry solved the problem of their big hairy dog, Molly, who got on the couch in bed with them, despite her wet fur, muddy paws, and shedding. Sound familiar? They created machine-washable Magic Fabric Pet Throws to trap pet hair, dirt, and moisture, letting you enjoy dog and cat cuddle time without sacrificing your clothes, furniture, or decor. You can buy direct from the creators at magicfabric.com. 